This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Welcome back to Titanic Talkline. I am Alexia. Um, thank you for tuning in again. I am super excited for a number of reasons. One, because I have a bunch of new Titanic books on my shelf I have to read, and then I want to talk to people about them. And number two, um, LA from um, Unsinkable Titanic podcast told me about a Titanic convention at the end of August, and I decided I had to go, so I'm going to go. And It'll be a lot of fun. I'm hoping it'll be a lot of fun. It better be a lot of fun. I'm bringing my dog. It'll be, it'll be great. Um, oh, I also am in the process of making stickers. I have patches and I have t-shirts. Uh, if you want a free Titanic Talkline vinyl sticker and you live in the United States, I'm sorry, this is for the United States. Like the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then send me an email saying that you did, or show me screenshots, show me some kind of proof, you know, the receipts and all that. And I will confirm to ask for your address, and then I will mail you a Titanic Talkline sticker. It can go on your car, your laptop, your head. I don't recommend that one, because why would you want to do that? Anyway, I've been talking for a while, and I think that I should stop talking now so you can listen to me talk with another person in a couple seconds. So here you go. Okay, so it has been a long week, and I don't want to take everyone's time, so my amazing guest this week, could you please tell all the listeners who you are? Um, hi, everyone. I'm Zinzi Wilson. And what is your... Give me your Titanic story, obviously, because that's, you know, what we're here to discuss. Yeah, I have a, I have a funny Titanic story. I think if I look at the, um, the people that I've been engaging with on the internet about Titanic, I am... Um, I'm kind of like, you know, that girl who comes in never having read any of the Marvel comics and then all of a sudden she's like the biggest fan. I watched the movie, (laughs) I want to say over, I want to say over 500 times at this point. And wow. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I think I was 10 when it came out. My, um, my parents had, um, um, purchased, I think four Sprite bottles, which got us the free VHS tape for Titanic saw it in the theater a couple times yeah and uh I don't know it just really grew on me and then as I got older and older it became much more significant and I could see why it why I had been so drawn to it but uh yeah I'm just really into the movie Titanic it's a it's a really good movie I know there's people who criticize it and it's like I mean I will say that like the criticisms are kind of legit in some cases because yes whatever but like I love this movie I think it's a great movie and I I don't get the super hate for it do you know what I mean like that intense vitriol I don't I don't get it when people are like so anti it that it's almost like that is your personality is you are anti this film (laughs) yeah I think I I really do like that development by the way if you know there's a fandom but also anti-fandom like on the internet people get really intense I, I don't know. I like that sometimes to just read what people have on their minds. But I mm-hmm. get the criticism of Titanic. It is not really a great movie. But if we're talking desert island movies, I'm not taking The Exorcist, which to me is <laughs> the actual best movie ever made. I'm taking Titanic because I want to have that whole spiel and all the intense emotions. And I want to feel, you know, I don't know, wholesome about it. So... Yeah. I mean, there's moments of fun in Titanic, too. Like, even though you know it's a film about a disaster, there's still fun little moments where you kind of get to go hee-hee about it. But I have never watched The Exorcist and had a moment where I was like, ah-ha-ha, and then you give it old <laughs> knee slap, or it's, like, very much not that kind of film. Exactly. Yeah, it's a different vibe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yep. it's totally a different vibe. But yeah. I think that it... You you mentioned it's not a good movie, but it's like, I think it is, but again, I am open to that criticism. I think the dialogue's pretty clunky all of the time. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty awful in some places where you're just like, this is not how humans speak. Right. Yeah, very much. Even then, I mean, most of us don't even know how humans spoke back then, but you can tell that it's not that. It wouldn't have been that. (laughs) Um, But there's just, I don't know, I... 
I guess there had been a lot of Leonardo DiCaprio movies coming out in the mm -hmm. late 90s to begin with. So all of my friends were really in love with him. And I, a budding lesbian myself, was obsessed with Kate Winslet. And she is just stunning in this film. You know, she is. She is always stunning. And I love she's so much more attractive to me now than she was then <laughs> in that movie. Um, but yeah, I just love that dynamic between the two of them and I didn't really care when he sang like my my wife will every time I say Titanic she's like he could have fit onto the door and I'm like I don't care about him Jack I, no don't care unnecessary go unnecessary. away yes well it's that whole so he gets often compared to that trope of being a manic pixie dream guy as opposed to Manic's yeah. Dream Girl. And it's yeah. so true. Mm -hmm. So you're right in that, like, when he sings, it's like, yeah, he fulfilled his purpose in this film. Like, <laughs> he, the dream is over. It's time for him to go. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Sometimes she'll have me entertain the thought of what would have happened if he had survived. And, and I'm like, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't care about that narrative at all. <laughs> to me, you know, to me, the, the main character of Titanic is Titanic. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I think that's important though, because I I watch a YouTube channel called Cinema Therapy. Mm -hmm. It's um it's a filmmaker and a therapist who watch and discuss movies, and they did one nice. on Titanic. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the filmmaker pointed out, his name is Alan Seawright. Mm -hmm. He says that you know making a ship the main character of a movie is bold and it's true but i think in this movie it works because by the time it gets to the sinking and you see the water coming up slowly and then faster and faster into these areas that we've seen throughout the course of the film it feels yeah. very upsetting it does yeah i think um you know there's there's really a lot of personality in the ship just in the fact that you know, that she sang and that, like you just just said, the way you see the water coming up and even just the guy narrating that in the beginning when they do like the little, um, you know, animation that they created. Lewis. I think, yeah, I think there's also just, um, I don't know, I really identified with Titanic for some reason. I mean, I know the reason now, but back when I was a kid, I was just like, wow, a ship. <laughs> <laughs> what is the reason now? You say you, you get it now. What is it for you? Yeah, I think, I don't know, in in some ways I really felt like I was Titanic as a kid. I felt like I was almost kind of too big to, to handle. And I grew up for a long time thinking that that was the case. And now that I'm, you know, older, I see that there's, um, you know, I, I grew up in a family that had very little capacity for parenting. Um, mm -hmm. So I was, the focus was always on why I was too much and... I don't know. I just, I think looking back, I probably felt like I was slowly sinking and just to see that play out on screen with the ship and the water coming in and people kind of hastily trying to get out and they're freezing to death in the cold water. I just, I don't know. I could, I could relate to that somehow. Well, you clearly didn't hit an iceberg and go down. How did you, how'd you get out? <laughs> um, how'd you get out of the water? Yeah, I... Just by getting out of the environment, I think <laughs> that was a was a good starting point. And then just education on lots, lots of therapy. I think that your story reminds me a lot of Rose's story and her interactions with her mother. In that it seems as though, you know, maybe through no fault of her own or maybe because she didn't care, but it seemed like Ruth had very little capacity for parenting. Because at the time we meet Rose, yeah. she's 17. So she's not even right. not a kid yet. So she's she's just getting into the stage where, like, you know, 17-year-olds today, it's like, Mom, I'm going to the mall! You know, that's, that's where she is with Rose right. in life, but they're in a very different thing. And it seemed... What, what what I find, and I think a lot of people find alluring about Titanic, was that what Jack was for her was, for Rose, was permission to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it's funny that you say that now, because I've never kind of seen, I never saw the parallel between, you know, her relationship with her mother and my relationship with my mother, because just 
even I don't want to make any assumptions about your no. relationship with your mother. Sorry. No, no, but I mean, you know, just imagine like, um, you know, a seemingly kind, super Catholic mother who's like, I don't want to take up much space, but I'm taking up all the space. That's kind of, mm. you know, the mother I have. And I think in a I certain went to Catholic way, school, yeah, not <laughs> well, Catholic, then. but I went to Catholic school. Well, I, I've met many of those. Exactly. Mamas. Well, then, you know, yeah. And I think, you <laughs> I know, do. in a way, Rose's mother really is kind of like that. because She's very quiet and reserved. But when she does open her mouth, like at the uh, at the dinner, it is so mean and condescending. Um, and it has an agenda. The things she says, it's not just mean to be mean. She's like, being systematically cruel. Like at the dinner, she's not just saying she's not just being rude to everyone. She's not like Molly, your hat's ugly. Aster, what's up with that terrible tie? Right. She's not just being a bitch all over the place. She has an, and I keep saying the word agenda, but she does like yeah. the first thing she does is stare directly at Jack and go like, so what's it like being poor? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She, definitely does have an agenda and by the way i love that you i've obviously seen this movie many times but you can quote it much better than i can uh. which i find very cool um but yeah very much an agenda and i think there's just um even if they hadn't been on the brink of like rich poverty which they are and you know the mother's mm-hmm. trying to make trying to secure her future um even without that i imagine she would still be a manipulative asshole right and yeah, I totally, I can totally see that. She seems like a very narcissistic person. So in that sense, I, I can really resonate with the story that Rose was um, uh, living. But I definitely didn't see that as a kid. I just, I thought just the music and the, mm-hmm. just the, how giant the ship was to me. And, you know, the drama around it. And then just the horror of people dying, all that. It was just so bombastic. And I felt really... Yeah, really close to that. And still do. It, it is a really emotional film, and the movie score does have a lot to do with it. I know that, the, the, again, the criticism is that James Horner is great when he's not ripping himself off. And I'm like, I guess that if you really, if I were to really listen to his soundtracks, I'm sure that I could find repeating motifs. Mm-hmm. But I really like the Titanic soundtrack a lot. I think that it works. And mm-hmm. I think that the musical cues are in the right place. There's sometimes where... In other films you might be watching and you're just like, this music doesn't fit or it's way too loud or whatever the case may be. I think it actually fits really, really well in Titanic, especially when you consider iconic moments. You can hear the score behind them. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. And I think um, it really is perfect for Titanic because Titanic isn't the perfect movie. It is my perfect movie, but it's not the perfect movie. And the soundtrack isn't perfect, but it fits together really well in a way that when I'm watching it, I kind of forget that there's music because it's just like a like a Gesamtkunstwerk. Like it's just all encompassing almost, right? Um, and I'm thinking, you know, if it had been a better movie, the, mu- the music probably would have really upset me. But Titanic is not a movie that I think about the way I think about, um, I don't know. I remember seeing Get Out in the theater and thinking, God, this person understands my greatest fears, Right. And I still think back to that movie on an almost weekly basis. And I can't believe a narrative like that was ever created. But with Titanic, it's just, wow, it was so big. (laughs) I want to, this has nothing to do with Titanic, but I want to talk about Get Out super quickly because people have seen what I look like on my Instagram if they go to it. I am a mixed race person, but I am not a black person. Mm -hmm. And Get Out, I've seen Get Out and I've seen Us and I just think maybe the story wasn't for me Mm -hmm. because it didn't fill me with that kind of feeling of... I I get the narrative. It's not that I didn't get it. I followed the narrative. I saw what happened and it it is horrifying. Uh It's not that I don't get it. I'm like, oh God, no, I don't... I wouldn't want that to happen to me as the Mm -hmm. abstract concept of my consciousness of someone taking over my brain. But... What what's the message that I am clearly missing? I'm sorry. I I know that this is one of those don't make people do the labor for you things, but I've read all the articles trying to understand that because it it it's just not for me in that way. Right. Um I mean, what is the message that you were missing? I mean, you know, the message that you got is what you got, right? I wholeheartedly believe in the idea that, you know, there's like author's author's intent and maybe implied reader but you know everybody has their own perspective that they bring to a story and that perspective Mm -hmm. is usually fine 
Um, and le- as long as we understand that that's not the only perspective that's out there. Sure. Um, for me, Get Out really spoke to um, my fear deep down that I am less worthy. I am worth mm-hmm. less as a black person. Um, I grew up in the Netherlands, in the south of the Netherlands, which I always jokingly call the Confederate South, but it is pretty racist. Um, south is south everywhere, apparently. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, there just have been very many racist moments in my life and then a couple really big ones. And specifically also the big thank you um i mean i know that you've i imagine that you've experienced um you know negative things yourself as well Um, it's a little different i think on a day-to-day basis people don't really look twice at me as i'm just going by right well i mean you know there's also i think something to be set for being not white and people not understanding that you're not white and then saying things to you that make you go have you met my aunt Right? That type of stuff. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, when I think about those big racist moments that I've experienced, um, they were all about um the idea that I was that it was so clear that I was worth less than another person that things just really spiraled out of control. Like in get out, it spirals out of control because yeah. the idea is we kind of um glorify black bodies but black souls are worth so little to us that we don't even see that they exist that's kind of you know how it touched me i think Mm -hmm. because the way i saw it and again this is how i saw it Mm -hmm. was that a white person's perfect interpretation of a black person is secretly a white person oh yeah that is what i took away and i think that might have been a little too quote-unquote simple Mm -hmm. but that's just you know at the base level i was like oh you're (laughs) You want all the benefits, you know, obviously we saw for people who have not seen Get Out, the main character is a stunningly talented photographer and the premise, this is not a spoiler because the movie's been out for how many years now? If you haven't seen it, whatever. (laughs) Right. Go see it. Pause this, go see it and come back and don't get (laughs) mad about it. But um, it's that rich white people have found a way to sink the consciousness of their black people of choice to a faraway place in the the sunken place is what they called it in right. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that would allow the rich white person, usually an elderly person whose body is failing, to take over and sort of drive that human. Mm-hmm. So that's the premise of that. And, you know, again, the way I was seeing it was like, they see this wonderful photographer and it's mm-hmm. like, I could quote unquote fix that. I'll be the better mannerisms, I'll act the right way, and I'll use your talents and do everything right, and we'll be successful. You'll be along for the ride, but I got this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, I haven't haven't really read much about it. Um, I just watched it very many times, and I'd actually never thought of it this way, but I really, I don't think it's too simplistic. I think that that's a very good way of explaining the narrative, and... Um, yeah, there's just, you know, that there's a perspective of a white person trying to fix something and then also a white person trying to get something that they feel is missing. And mm-hmm. what they are definitely never missing is a soul, a sense of community, you know, everything that's that's not visible in someone's mm-hmm. person. And yeah, yeah, it had a big uh, impact on me, I think. I only saw it once Um and this is not meant to be like, it was a terrible movie. I just saw it and was like, okay, I don't need to see that again. And just kind of wandered out of the theater. Right. So yeah, with like a stunned expression on my face, I was like, I think I'm good. Right. But, you know, I think there's a lot of value in that kind of a message because, mm-hmm. you know, when you think about Titanic and you look back on it, it's a very, it's a very white story, mm-hmm. even in the historical context, and I've brought this book up a million times, but um, Stephen Beale's book, Down with the Old Canoe, talks about the cultural history around the Titanic disaster. Mm-hmm. And one of the big things was, you know, not to simplify his statement, was how it was whitewashed post-disaster. Oh, interesting. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was used as an opportunity to extol the virtue of the white Anglo-Saxon man to be like, ah, those generous white billionaires gave up their seats to those wretched, wretched third class, you know, <laughs> 
sluts and whores so that they could live another day. It was very much that. And Isidore and Ida Strauss, who are Jewish, were basically made, quote unquote, honorary Christians in light of the thinking. It had to be reclaimed by the Jewish community. Really? mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of stories over the years of immigrants that we didn't know about who were on the Titanic itself. And some of that's reflected in the Cameron film, like the Chinese man you see time to time. He is um, a kind of collective stand-in for the six Chinese survivors. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, it's interesting how we're now finding out about all these stories that we've missed, right. not yeah. just recently, but just throughout history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much. I think, um, you know, certainly for me, it's been... Um very healing to see kind of the the other side behind you know big famous stories that we know um, and to also see myself represented because you know I didn't really experience that much growing up and it's definitely um, made it difficult for me sometimes to figure out what kind of person I am and what kind of black person I am Um, I've kind of put myself now in a very progressive environment in a very you know good place with people who don't necessarily think exactly the way I do but who at least don't call me the n-word at the office which in the Netherlands Uh, is something that does still happen Um, oh yeah gosh yeah at least here I mean okay I was about to say here in the states but on a larger scale Mm -hmm. here in the states most normal socially mildly aware people know not to do that exactly yeah there's I think a lot of things that could be said for you know, the social cultural climate in the United States, but at least this is something that Americans really understand. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm in a good environment now, but I'll still, you know, sometimes when I say something at work, I'll have a colleague who'll kind of snap their neck and kind of go, you know, oh girl. And I'll think to myself, I'm, I'm a very, like, I want to say expressionless, just boring lesbian why, why are you pretending that i'm some you know girl that you can go shopping with what's, what's happening right um it's not drag brunch yeah exactly yeah and i think you know on the so on the one hand i really enjoy seeing more diversity and seeing myself reflected in the stories of other people and then at the same time i can get really angry when you know things that i've loved since i was a child kind of get ruined by this um <laughs> a good example i mean i just had it a little bit now when you were talking obviously the things you're saying are very interesting and i'm like oh i didn't know there were th- i didn't know there were jewish people on the titanic my partner's jewish so that's you know i should be there was a black man on the there. titanic as well there we go i know nothing his um, name was um joseph laroche unfortunately he himself did not survive but he saw his uh, wife and two children safely into a lifeboat wow that's fascinating. Okay, I'll, I'll have to start reading about Titanic, obviously. <laughs> um, but it's the same with Godzilla. I remember we went to see Godzilla, King of the Monsters, a couple years ago. And Godzilla has the same function for me as Titanic. Just like mm-hmm. larger than life, almost kind of too big to handle. And we walked out of the theater. <laughs> and my partner was like, yeah, so the way that one Chinese woman was portrayed was really messed up. <laughs> And she gave me this rundown of all the things that were wrong. And I was like, why do you have to ruin everything? (laughs) I didn't see. Okay, I'll fully admit. I've never seen a Godzilla movie. So I didn't see the most recent. (laughs) You know, that's The facial expression I just got was very merited. Um, (laughs) I've learned that there's a lot of classic slash movies that everyone thinks everyone has seen that I haven't and every once in a while it'll come up a conversation and I have to be the person that's like I don't know what we're talking about <laughs> but I okay so this reminds me of something that happened to me I think this was 2020 and I was I had completed Netflix and I was looking for something else to do so I started going back through the old Disney films yes and I, I never loved Aristocats when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but I'm older now and I was really bored. So I figured I'd watch it in the very beginning, a little warning popped up and oh, yeah. I don't remember the exact text, but it was something like this film contains a portrayal, contains a portrayal of like a race or a group of people that may be considered offensive. Uh, you know, we presented it its original form. Blah, blah. And I was like, what part of Aristocats are we talking about? Because... Yeah. In my mind, this takes place in Paris, but I had forgotten that in the middle of Everybody Wants to Be a Cat, we cut away 
to a Chinese, a Siamese cat playing a keyboard with chopsticks. Oh, wow. And then he says what I think is Shanghai Kung Fu Egg Fu Young, fortune cookie always wrong. And then cuts oh, back to everybody gosh. wants to be a cat. There was like 10 seconds. They could have cut it. No one would have known. Wow. <laughs> and it's just like, that was meaningless. I had forgotten all about that till it came back in the movie, and I was just right. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. And I had to pause and giggle for about 10 minutes because it was like, what the... Right. But it was just like, that was so unnecessary, contributed nothing to the song, contributed right. nothing to the plot. That character yeah. never comes back again. Mm-hmm. It was just there to be super fucking racist. Right. Yeah, and I think... so. Do you know of any Disney movies where they ended up cutting a portion out of the movie because of because it was racist or discriminatory? No, I think they end up just with those warnings because they would have to have eradicated about a third of Peter Pan. Right. Because of first starting with what makes the red man red and ending mm. with almost everything else to do with the indigenous people in that film. Mm. And they would have had to do some pretty serious renovations to Pocahontas. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And, but I do know there is one Disney film that is so racist, they have tried to basically scrub it from their collection, and that is Song of the South. Oh, right. I haven't even seen that. Me neither. Probably for the best. Yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking, um, you know, in the Netherlands, as a kid, when you grow up, you don't get Dutch subtitles for English movies. You just get mm-hmm. um, Dutch-spoken um, Disney films. And okay. even the kids that I grew up with who are now you know my like me in their 30s who Mm -hmm. grew up watching the english version i'm always like what kind of a sick parent did you have why did you not watch the dutch version um so i only know the voices that they use in dutch and you know the different um, Uh racist things that are um part of that so i'm thinking of ariel which had sebastian the crab i think who had like a very thick surinamese accent in dutch in America, in the American version, it was a Jamaican accent, and I'm right. reasonably sure that that person who played Sebastian is not Jamaican. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was thinking, like, do they redub the whole thing with a different accent? And you know, imagine being on that committee and having to make those kinds of decisions. Because I'm, I'm sure they started out thinking, you know, are there things we need to take out? Mm-hmm. I. Mm, I think what? it depends on the film because like with Aristocats, for example, that 10 second clip means nothing that could have been clipped and no one would have known the difference. But if you were to, for example, cut out all the scenes with the, the Indians in Peter Pan, I'm just, uh-huh. I know that that's not the word we use, but it's the word they call them in the film. Yeah. Um, if you were to cut out that entire plot, a lot of the rest of the movie would not make sense or right. it would suddenly not be a movie anymore because that's like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in a Disney film, which is only a maximum of what, like 80 minutes or so, yeah. that's a massive section. So it's like yeah. you'd have to do a lot of work to redo it. So that's why I can right. see why they may not want to do it and may just do the like the note at the beginning. Yeah. Which could be more like... specific, by the way, I think. It could be. It really, really could. I haven't watched Peter Pan. Maybe the note's more specific. But what's really interesting is, so my dad is from India, so he did not grow up with the Disney films. Right. And I was telling my mom about this, um, and we were talking about how racist Peter Pan was, and we brought up that song. And my dad is like, that is not a real song. He's sitting at the table arguing with us because he thinks we're trying to pull a fast one on him and make him, like, go into work and say something stupid. We're like, no, this is a real thing. I had to bring it up on this on the freaking YouTube <laughs> and show him, and he was just like, what the hell is oh, happening here? Right. Even there's there's no one understands the no one in my family understands the point. I mean, we are a little tiny way back far native, but it's still mm-hmm. kind of like, what? I don't, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... Um... I don't know. I mean, I I imagine, I know, you know, in the United States, we get a lot of news, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of American news, much more so than the United States would get Dutch news. Um, So I kind of, I believe, have kind of like an understanding of, you know, things that are going on. And I think the United States is grappling with these types of topics much more than we are. But even here in the Netherlands, you know, there's this very strong pull of people saying, yeah, but if you take that out and if you, mm-hmm. you know, just, just put a message, because if you have to take it out, then what other book are you going to um, burn or whatever? But, you know, I mean, we have a specifically strong relationship with 
making things racist. I mean, mm-hmm. Uncle Tom's Cabin in Dutch <laughs> is called Uncle Tom's N-Word Cabin. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, it is very much. You can't say that on television? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah, and then no. still, sometimes these days I see more and more that the N-word is bleeped out, for example, in documentaries or, you know, Good. when it's about, you know, hate speech on the internet. But oftentimes it's not. And, yeah, there's just a whole lot of things here that mm-hmm. go wrong where if you pay attention to what's happening in the U.S. for two seconds, you can see that there's other ways of dealing with it. Um, I think um, we had um, uh, Amanda Gorman's book of poetry was going mm-hmm. to be translated and mm-hmm. there's a person who, a dutch person who recently won the what's it called man booker prize or you know something some literary prestigious uh, literary prize i don't know enough and, about the world yeah it doesn't matter and uh, <laughs> they'd gotten a prestigious prize and they're like a trans non-binary character or person uh-huh. who's kind of been you know um a big name in um dutch uh, literature and mm-hmm. they were awarded the a contract to translate the work and everybody was like could you not have found a black person to translate the work of fucking amanda corbin <laughs> you know it's those oh, this person is questions. black no this is a white person and then if eventually i think they gave it back themselves saying you know what i i don't need this but yeah it's hard i mean yeah. i mean i'm not one of those people like oh my god where's the limit but it's, it's kind of like how do you win when you're the one making the call like I'm betting you if I were the person in charge of assigning the editor because I'm a careless person that may not have even crossed my mind it would have been like oh Natalia's free today and she's an amazing editor Natalia take this thing yeah and then someone would have been like why'd you give it to Natalia and I've been like she was free right yeah exactly I think I mean obviously that's a big part of the um commentary that you know came out because it was a big story in the news mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. there's there's a growing number of black editors who are very talented, doing great work, um, mm-hmm. who are just, you know, persistently being overlooked. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, there's just a lot of stuff around, you know, those types of questions happening in the Netherlands. Um, They're important questions, though. Very important questions, but also very tiring, I think. I, I can see where it is tiring, because on the one hand, there are bigger battles to fight. But on the other hand, you have to fight the small ones or you won't make any headway. It's it 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 it's really complicated. And I think that we're kind of dealing with that here um, in the United States as sort of the Democratic Party mm-hmm. as a whole yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're seeing a whole lot of in non-interest in taking any small steps and just yeah. talking about making big steps. It's like, well, yeah. you can't keep talking about making massive steps. We don't have the resources to take a leap to the moon. We have to mm. start by walking up the block first. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously, I imagine now, you know, you know people who are interested in making the world more inclusive in the United States are mm-hmm. fighting at least kind of like an internal war because there's just so much going on. Right. I mean, over Ugh. here, we've kind of zoned out. We're like, okay, Trump again, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. He's going to run again. We'll see whatever, but it must be very, very challenging to, you know, live in that reality and figure out what next step to take. It's very complicated because I will say just like, as I am one human being. Mm-hmm. I live near the capital. You know, those riots happen in my hometown. The, you know, the insurrection happened in my in my hometown, mm-hmm. basically. And I don't know what to do because yeah. I am a single person. Yeah. And I am not a person that comes from money. I am not a person that comes from prestige. I don't have the natural platform to just get up and start saying things and have the world listen. And that's a very complicated place to be in because if you're not in that position and you just start getting up and saying things, you'll face consequences for your actions, whether that be jail time, ostracization, Mm -hmm. violence, being fired from your job. There's all sorts of ridiculous inherent risks that come with doing those things and the way the United States is set up, no one has the ability to take those risks without literally losing it all. And so it's very hard to think, yeah. what can I do? Because a lot of us have, I'm, I'm 33. I've been voting routinely and steadily since I was 18 years old. I mean, I mm-hmm. don't miss elections. I vote, I turn up and still it's like, nothing's happening. <laughs> like yeah. I've watched things get worse and worse and worse. And yeah. it makes you a little 
curious as to what you're supposed to do. And I don't know what to do on a grand scale. All, you know, all we can do is little things in our daily lives, like be, try to use, I don't know, gender inclusive language or try to be, uh, amend your policies to be more inclusive. I play roller derby and a lot of teams used to be called something, something roller girls you know, I, I'm making up teams now, like uh-huh. Maryland Roller Girls or like Super Sunflower Roller Girls, and a lot of them are changing it to Derby. So it's now yeah. Minnesota Roller Derby. Little nice. tiny things to become more inclusive are a good. Again, those are good ways to walk up the block. But unfortunately, yeah. I just like I don't know how we're going to make this leap, but mm-hmm. we need to. Exactly. Yeah, and I think just um, there's this um, idea when it comes to you know how we can battle climate change that it's not important that a couple people do it perfectly, but that everybody does it imperfectly. Mm-hmm. I think that translates to, you know, inclusivity as well. Yeah. And just doing things with more than yourself in mind, right. which is hard to do because I like, I think I'm inherently selfish. So, but it, it's really weird and interesting. And I think that, the that brings us in an odd way kind of back to Titanic in a sense because I think part of what everyone not everyone but part of the allure for Titanic is everyone hopes that they would be like the super noble person in that situation that we'd always be on the right side of things Mm -hmm. yeah yeah do we do I hope that I mean it's probably also because this is a visual Mm-hmm. There's a visual resemblance, but I always, I think, out of the people related most closely to the unsinkable Molly Brown. She's also, so good. She is, because obviously Kathy Bates, but also she knows how to run her mouth, and I like that. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like, no nonsense. Um, but frankly, I would probably be the guy who shot himself in the head. Just <laughs> get out, whatever. I feel like I'd probably, if I once... If I realized it was like, well, this is it. Like, there's no more lifeboats. I have a no way out. It'd be like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. figure this out. I'm going out yeah. some way. Because, yeah. yeah, dying a horrible death seems like a horrible idea. Yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, to me, dying is not as bad as living with a kind of trauma. Like, if, you, yeah. if you've experienced, like, very severe, debilitating trauma that just will rule the rest of your life, I'd rather be dead. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it I would... did for many people. A lot of yeah. the people who ended up surviving Titanic ended up having a lot of survivor's guilt. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, I can get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And P- what we now know is PTSD. But at the time, people probably <laughs> just thought was like, I don't know, like malaise of the malaise day. Malaise slash hysteria for women. We'll see. Yes. <laughs> and about that. So when most of the early lifeboats were women and children, mm-hmm. they, um, so a majority of the people who were in the lifeboats were women and children. Mm-hmm. And so when Titanic broke, a bunch of the people who witnessed it were women. Yeah. And their testimony was disregarded at the time wow. for probably that hysteria reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if this is fact or if this is just what people speculated, but they got mm-hmm. the surviving officers to testify that the ship did not break in half. And I think it's because the white star line was like, it'll look really bad for the integrity <laughs> and structural integrity of our ships. If they're uh-huh. like, it not only hit a thing, but it also broke. Wow. So it was, yeah, they just dismissed all the women who were like, no, 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 but I saw it though. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. There's so much I don't know by Titanic, and you're really inspiring me to to read up on that stuff. <laughs> I like that. Um, I think 99% of this I'm getting from um, Stephen Beale's book, which is uh, called Down with the Old Canoe. Right. Yeah. Very it's a really cool. good one, because it yeah. explains all this stuff that I hadn't thought about either, and I was also just like, oh, God, <laughs> right. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. So how are you, how did you get into Titanic? It was also the Cameron film for me. I think that being in my age bracket that it was really hard to escape coming to Titanic in that way, mm-hmm. um, or at least having that influence you in some form or fashion. So I really liked the movie. Right. And I was particularly struck by the suicide of Officer Murdoch myself, mostly mm-hmm. because he was my favorite officer the whole movie, and then he was gone, and I was eight, and I was unhappy about it. Right. And... 
I kind of, with how accurate the movie was the whole time, I was just kind of like, wow, this must have been like mostly what happened. I mean, I knew it was fiction. I knew Jack and Rose weren't real. But everyone else that was supposed to be real, I was like, that's really what happened to all these people. And I took that as a fact. And then later on, there was some controversy from some distant relative of Murdoch's in his hometown in Scotland. Yes. Who was, yeah. And who is like violently offended by this. And James Cameron kind of non-apologized, was like, sorry you feel that way, bud. Um, But that got me thinking, because this was a few years later, about how impactful fiction was. Mm -hmm. And how it can influence people's genuine view of the past and of the present and of culture. And it hadn't occurred to me that that, that it had affected me in that way, because again, I'd absorbed something as fact. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's some debate as to whether or not it was him or wasn't, or whether it happened or didn't. Mm -hmm. And regardless, you know, you should always do your own research, even just a little bit, just to verify what someone's story. And that was a big moment for me. And I also, um, played violin growing up and absolutely loved the score. I um, got the sheet music and learned to play on my little violin. So I always had a a thing for Titanic. I sang My Heart Will Go On at my grandparents' wedding anniversary (laughs) when I was like nine. Good for you. I did... I have to ask my mom whether or not I was actually good or if I was kid good. Because obviously, I was nine. Like, do do we have any material that was recorded? I don't know. I want to know because I want to know if it was like, because I'm a reasonable singer, but you know, kids are kids. And sometimes when kids sing, it's just yelling at different intonations. And I'm like, I don't know if it was that or if it was actually good, but I don't know if any recordings. If you you do find the recording, please share it with me. Cause I, I I mean, like you, I I didn't sing it at, at a public event, but I certainly sang that song a lot. And just the entire discography of Celine Dion that had been out by that point. And I genuinely felt that I sounded exactly like her. (laughs) Maybe you did. <laughs> I definitely didn't. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty good singer, but yeah, yeah. no. But I, I genuinely thought I sounded exactly like there was no distinction between what was on the tape and mm-hmm. what was, you know, the sound that was being produced in the room. Nice. <laughs> I liked the score as a whole, though, too. And I think it's because it relied really heavily on strings. Um, There's... A lot of movies that, in mm. at least in my opinion, where they're like super dramatic and stuff, they kind of rely on like bass and I mean percussion and um, oh my god, brass, where it gets really intense and loud, and it's yeah. a really good way to ramp it up. But mm. I like that a lot of the big moments in Titanic score are really brought along mm. by strings in the woodwind section, like um, yeah, the iconic I'm flying moment that is a harp and a chorus and strings and king of the world has some brass to it but a lot of it is string as well yeah and I like that yeah me too I think it's a it's a very beautiful score for this movie Mm -hmm. and I think um a couple people had attended the um uh, live event in London a couple days ago you know with the orchestra Oh my gosh. I commented, stop posting this because I have the worst kind of FOMO. And then I was downvoted and I was like, you know what? I'll delete my comment. But <laughs> you know that this is my feeling. Um, but yeah, I Rude. think that's, I, I've been saying to my partner before I'm, I turn 40, I want to have seen this because I will Same. melt. Yeah. Sure. I really wish that there was a, because um, there's an orchestra in the area, the National Symphony Orchestra for um, the Kennedy Center in DC. Mm-hmm. They do a film and concert series, but they I don't think they have Titanic on their dock and I don't think they've ever done it before. It's like, why not? It's the <laughs> perfect movie for it. It really is the perfect movie for it. Yeah. And then specifically, like when the guys come back at the end to play one last song. Mm hmm. Oh. Yes. That scene always drove me absolutely crazy, though, even when I was a kid, simply because I'm watching like this woman and her children and old people trying to snuggle in for bedtime with water rising. I'm like, in point two seconds, there's about to be a very different vibe in that room. Yes. Yes. Like, what is your plan at that point? Like the guys who come back for one last song, you mean? Yeah. Well, actually, they knew what they were doing. But, you know, yeah. when they play that song, they show that montage of, like, Isidore Nida Strauss laying in bed, yeah. and the woman in third class is tucking her children in. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, all right, 
that water is freezing. Yeah. When it touches your children, they are going to wake up. Right. Yeah. And then you are just going to all be in a room drowning. What yeah. is your plan? Yeah, Same thing with right. the old people. I'm like, what yeah. are you planning exactly? Otherwise, you're just going to be in a room drowning. And it's going to be very scary. I mean, at that point, you know, the th- the question really is, would people plan? I don't think so. It's kind of like saying, oh, if I ever get attacked in the park at night, I'm going to punch a guy in the balls. You don't know. Nope. I have Fair. no idea what I would do, right? And I I imagine just that the only thing people might have wanted was just to be close with the people they loved. You're right. I, I think I'm just a total panicker. So I'm imagining, <laughs> like, literally as soon as the water touches me, it would be like, this yeah. is a terrible idea. Yeah. I'd be like, I need to get out! Yeah, but then, you know, especially you in the small, like, third-class room, like, if the water comes in, you're dead within, like, within the minute. As soon as, soon as the water mm-hmm. hits the ceiling, that's it, right? Yeah, you're not going to be able to get out. Yeah, but and I, I, think I, I guess the, that idea of, you know, I mean, drinking, uh, uh, drowning, I'm sorry, in Dutch we say verdrinken, that's the word for drowning. Drowning I mean, it kind of makes sense. Death. Yeah. Um, but, no, I wouldn't. No. Yeah, even when I was a kid, I was just like, "What is the what is the plan?" As soon as the camera pans away, here, mom, like this just doesn't. I mm, I'm a child, and this seems wrong to me. But good, okay. Oof. Yeah. I'm all stressed about dying, drowning. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm good for. Um, (laughs) Nonsense and despair. That is what everyone turns into this podcast for. Uh, and by hot takes, but I don't know. I like Titanic. I, I see its flaws, but it's also for me, the kind of movie I can't watch all the time because it is like a hairpin turn where you're just like, Oh, what a nice romance. Everything's dying. Yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard left. It is. But I mean, at the same time, you know, that romance to me is just kind of like a side narrative to me. It's a bunch of, a bunch of fancy white people going onto a <laughs> ship and all all you would want for those assholes is that the ship would sink and then it eventually does and they handle the moment like assholes most so, of them yeah yeah most of them indeed yeah so i don't know i i like to you know every time i see a movie i watch a movie i give it a grade on imdb just so i can remember what i watched even mm-hmm. though i can't say that i've ever managed to find the full list of movies i've watched in the imdb interface because it's very <laughs> confusing um but just that for sounds right right um <clears throat> and i always like to grade a movie compared to what it could have been right and i think titanic is most of what it could have been yeah especially with james cameron in charge like if yeah. it had been somebody else maybe it would have been different but like yeah he's not a great writer so that script yeah. was only gonna get so good right for example yeah <laughs> Yeah, and I think then just, you know, also late 90s, the CGI, the way they kind of set up the whole special effects department, I think was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. for the time. Yeah. Like now, obviously, people are like, that's rudimentary, blah, blah, blah. And we wouldn't even <laughs> use a lot of those techniques now just because it would all be done in CGI. But right. the things that he did that were astronomical back then are what I assume to be mostly trivial now. Yeah. Yeah, true. That's that's very true. But I think... I. It's kind of like Jurassic Park, you know, that still holds up pretty mm-hmm. well, too. It um, does. I think yeah. Titanic mostly holds up. There's that one big panning scene with the with the CG people, which look a bit like they came grant, like <laughs> directly out of Grand Theft Auto. But that scene's a little weird. Other than that, it's pretty good. So I think out of the 500 plus times that I've watched Titanic, I saw it in the theater maybe 10 times total, a couple times mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and then a couple times when the three-day version came out. And we recently got like a home cinema. So we have a big screen now and I watched nice. it on the big screen. I always watch it on my birthday at least mm-hmm. once a year. Um, and that's, that's the first time I saw how terrible the CGI there was. Yeah. It's a little intense. Sad. <laughs> it's one of those movies where it's like, oh, you didn't intend for this to be watched on an HD screen. I understand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It works very well for its time, but there's one thing that I think does not work at all, mm-hmm. and that is Fabrizio's character. Oh, I like Fabrizio, but I think he's so much of a stereotype, it's insane. 
he does kind of remind me of he he doesn't have the same character or talks in the same way but he really reminds me of furio in the sopranos i don't know if you've watched the sopranos <laughs> there, there was this I one guy seen. from italy and he talks like this and it's just kind of yeah you know mario and luigi kind of yeah that's yeah that's Fabrizio talks like his backstory was that he walked out of a pasta factory and into a bar. I mean, there's there there is no complexity to him. I can barely understand what he's saying, and it's just like <laughs> he could have maybe been slightly less intense yeah. with that accent, and it yeah. would have been a little less stereotypical, far easier to understand, and way more passable. I think. Yeah. Because nobody yeah. else is, except for Billy Zane, nobody else is that big of a cartoon character. True. Yeah, very much. He very much is a cartoon character for B2. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think, um, and you know, that's, obviously those stereotypes kind of, you know, travel differently, but he's almost, he's like so jolly that he almost reminds me of like stereotypical black characters in, you know, movies that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Just very one-dimensional. Fabrizio is very one-dimensional. It's like, you're definitely just the ethnic friend. Got yeah, it. very much. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of my big issues with that is that it's just like, you're, just, why are you here? <laughs> Besides to like make Jack look cool and yeah. to say things like this ship is a nice. Eh? You're like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm thinking of things that I kind of find at fault with Titanic. I think for the longest time, I didn't understand the room they were in. That's like at the top um, near the, the yeah. fancy deck. And then when I saw it just uh, last December, I realized it was a gym. <laughs> yeah. That stupid gym. It, it does kind of look like medieval torture devices, but, you know, seeing it in a on a bigger screen, I realized, oh, that's just very old gym equipment. That's always something that I found very odd. I also don't really like that scene. Um, yeah, I think it's weird. The dialogue is weird. Teenage yeah. boys don't talk like that. Right, exactly. It, it, no. It's yeah, it, just very hokey dialogue. A very hokey dialogue. Yeah, but I mean, for the most part, it's just, yeah, you know, the best dial- part of the dialogue is probably like those Norwegian guys in the first scene when they lose <laughs> tickets, something like that, right? Yeah. Those silly moments. Yeah. Because some of them are a little stupid. Like, I happen to think that entire monologue that Jack gives Rose in the gym is fucking ridiculous. And I also think it's patently ridiculous that nobody walked in and was like, oh. (laughs) Yes. It's like, you just managed to dominate a gym for three minutes. And also, Rose was in the middle of a conversation with, like, four other people. It's not like she was part of a group of 60 that you could steal her from. It would be one of those things where Mr. Andrews would be like, and as we can see, where's Rose? Yeah. We're just talking to her a minute ago. Yes. (laughs) By the way, like, that's did a they really round the British co- accent? Good for you. It, that it stops there because oh. I can't go much further than that. But it's like, what was the plan there? Like, was the rest yeah. of the party just waiting around the corner? Like, yeah, yeah. I think I think you know if there's one takeaway that we can um, 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 define is there's very little planning. Uh. For, I'm a planner, so that annoys me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think on the obviously, you know, when a ship is sinking, there's you know a couple people shoot themselves in the head. Others just lie in bed waiting for the room to fill with water. Obviously, there's very little planning there. But also, you know, Jack is just such a, I don't know. I I'm still not clear on whether I find it like a dumb cliche that he's just kind of some vagabond. But I also love it for this film. It's a really great, you know, personality trait that he has. I think. That you're right there in that for this particular dynamic, it works. But again, going back to that whole, the trope is he's a manic pixie dream guy. It's like, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think the, the joke was manic pixie dream boat. But <laughs> nice. but it's a little, but it's kind of true, though. Like, he never really, the worst thing he ever says to Rose is, you're a spoiled little brat. But even mm. that is coming just because I think he's trying to insert, like, a little hard-ass comment into this massive soft marshmallow of a monologue he's given. But it's like, yeah. he never says anything wrong. He never does anything wrong. Even the mistakes mm. he makes are, like, the kind of, like, whoops, I tripped and fell right into your heart. It's all that <laughs> kind of, like, it works so deliberately well that it's almost yeah. too much to suspend your reality for. We were like, people like that don't exist. Yes. Like, People like that perfect don't exist. People like that don't exist who just come to free you from your oppressive life and then vanish before they can inconvenience you with their debt. Like, that's just not how most things work. Exactly. Yeah. Although I have to say, I do know 
one person, I will not name her, but she is my colleague. Shout out to my colleague who learned. Hey, Brenda, what's I, up? <laughs> no, I don't know who she is. Sorry. <laughs> when I told her a couple months ago, that's the first time she heard that Jack and Rose were not real. And she had me Google it. She didn't believe it. <laughs> there are a lot of people who apparently do think that. God bless her. Which I find is. Maybe because I always knew they were fake. I don't know how I knew they were fake. Maybe I read an article. Maybe my mom told me. I don't know. I always knew they were unreal. So when I found out that there were people who are like, oh my God, I'm so devastated. They weren't real. I was just like, this would be like someone telling me that Luke and Leia weren't real and my being devastated. Like, this is insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I I don't, I don't know. I really like um, what you talked about earlier. um, You know, the, the idea that, you know, fiction can have an impact on mm-hmm. reality and how we see fiction i think uh, my uh, very amazing jewish mother-in-law her favorite movie is schindler's list and a couple of years ago you know we we try to watch it speaking every of easy I afternoon think, watches i mean you know but she's like the type of person she'll watch like 10 holocaust movies in a week because it's just like she's really okay. into the theme and she's you know she writes poetry okay. on the topic like, not yeah. for me that's a little too yeah. heavy but you know go too heavy get, yeah exactly go on with your bad self please because i won't yes yeah and i think so um her her daughter and i both you know we both studied literature my partner also studied films are very much aware of you know the impact that reality has on fiction and the other way around Mm -hmm. and my mother-in-law was like yeah but chin looks is such a beautiful movie and my partner and i were like well you know that's like one of the biggest holocaust narratives ever told Mm -hmm. um I think it's problematic that it's basically the story of a Nazi self-actualizing against the backdrop of Jewish suffering. <laughs> and my mother-in-law was like, yeah, but it's a, I mean, it's, it's what happened. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a documentary. And we were like, is it? Yeah. Is, is that how we're going to see Shameless List? And I think as a kid, even, even before I went to university to study literature, I realized that there were no Jack and Rose. Cause that would have been really odd if there was like some, well very well preserved romantic narrative that actually happened when thousands of people died conveniently unearthed by a drawing mistakenly pulled from a safe at the bottom of the ocean looking for something else yes yeah it just seemed it it seemed too good to be true so i immediately Mm -hmm. figured out okay i i don't have to pay attention to this love story i need to pay attention to that ship I think the only reason that I and maybe a lot of other people kind of clung on to the love story or not clung on to it because it wasn't the most important part, but I liked it for its own reasons because number one, Rose turns into the, uh, like the pursuer in the relationships. He's not the like, Oh, right. damsel in distress, come and find yeah. me, which mm-hmm. I like because that drives me insane. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And also because Jack broke a lot of the stereotypes that kind of happened around like rom-coms in the aughts. Mm-hmm. And this is a few yeah. years before this, but you know, the whole, she's all that 10 things I hate about you. I've right. suddenly forgotten the names of all the other ones, yeah. but all those, all those rom-coms where it was like, the guy's a bit of a dick. Mm-hmm. And then he warms up slightly. Yeah. But even though the whole time he's like negging her, making fun of her, you're lying to her about a false pretense or making right. her change who she was, be either yes. the thing she did or the thing she wore, what she looked like. Mm-hmm. But in Titanic, Jack is just like, I like you like this, right? Just drawing a circle around her whole being like, like that. I like Mm -hmm. you like that. If you cut your hair, that's fine. If you're wearing that dress, that's cool. If you're not wearing a dress, even better. But Mm -hmm. you know, it's, he was very much like, I like you. Yeah. I like you. I don't want to change you. Right. And I think for a lot of people, I know for me, that was kind of impactful because it told me even if they're rare, you can find people like that who want you to just be you. Right. Exactly. I'd never, I'd never really thought of the way he looked at her in this mm-hmm. way, but I really, I, I, that very, that resonates very strongly with me now that you say it. And you know what? I'm going to watch Titanic later tonight. <laughs> yeah, I am. I think yeah. that I should have a, an episode a little later on because I haven't seen Titanic in a little while. I saw uh-huh. it with my brother on my birthday, but because he and I just like to joke about <laughs> things, we were just laying on the couch being like, he making stupid comments about things right. because we're children still. Mm-hmm. But I want to have an episode where I get like four or five people together after we've recently rewatched Titanic to talk about it because the re release is coming out next year and I plan on going to see it. But 
the more people I talk to about it and I haven't seen, I don't watch it as, you know, religiously or anything, the more I kind of realize that everyone sees so many different things mm-hmm. in the same movie. And I think that's right. what I find so fascinating about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, if you have any repeat guests that you would want to include yeah. in that episode, I would love to be a part of it because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the more talk about Titanic, the better. I'm doing a time check, by the way. I have to leave in a couple yep. minutes. So if you have no one more question that... I you... don't. Do you have a question that you felt like asking me because I talked at you for a really long time? Well, Feeling I mean, fair is fair. <laughs> I have I have a million more questions for you, but, you know... It's, it's... We can have a follow-up at some point. Yes, I would love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's let's nice do to. That. It's nice to kind of... Oh, hold on, my microphone is there we go yes it's uh, still working um, <laughs> awesome um yeah no it's great to uh to talk with somebody about titanic i don't really it's do that awesome. too often well yeah. i mean that's the whole point of the show i love talking to people about the ship about the movie about everything right. and i would definitely love to have people on as repeats because you know it's about building a community and what good is your community if you never go back into it like that's yeah. just rude love it <laughs> yes well thank you so much for giving me your time i will let you go do thank all you. of your things Yes, yes, I'll uh, I'll get on it. Thank you very much for having me. I had a great time talking to you. Thank you for coming. Okay, I already have like 18 more movies I want to go over um, with Zinzi, so I'm definitely going to have to have her back. Um, if you want to get in touch with Zinzi, you can reach out to her at Zinzi, Z-I-N-Z-Y dot website, which I didn't know you could have a dot website. I have to go look into that now. Um, even though I don't even have a website, period. But that was so much fun. Again, thank you so much to Zinzi for coming on, to all my past guests. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, if you want to be on the show, come on the show. Send me an email at titanictalkline at gmail.com. Get in touch with me on Twitter, on Instagram, or Facebook. I have the same username. It's titanictalkline, all one word. And uh, yeah, get in touch. I want to hear from you. Oh, and be sure to leave me a five-star rating on the platform of your podcast listening preference because that would be amazing and awesome and is another way that you can get a free sticker so either subscribe to me on all the social medias or leave me a review and send me an email telling you did it and i will send you a free sticker talk to you next time bye titanic talkline was created and produced by me alexia be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at titanic talkline on facebook instagram and twitter that is all one word Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at titanictalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!